Talk Soups and CEOs, episode 27, season one. So if we had a big push for one-to-one and blended learning 12 years ago, why are we struggling so much to do that now? I get into that question and a discussion with my friend and colleague, David Irwin. Enjoy. show um talk soups and ceos episode 27 in season one the season that began as doug figuring out how to do a podcast (laughs) and you know literally down to like how to record it (laughs) buying a microphone to um iei starting to host this platform as a way for us all to process what is going on as as districts respond to this pandemic. And, you know, it's, I have to say, it's been, it's, it feels like we're doing something uh, at a time when I think all of us want to try to do something to help. And so by telling stories and sharing ideas and sharing the work from the front lines, it's, it's been, it's been, we're really enjoying doing it. I hope you're enjoying listening. I hope we're helping out. If you have ideas for things we can do to help further the discussion, as always, we'd like to hear them. If you have ideas for topics, if you want to, if you know somebody who you think should be on the podcast, we'd love to have them on. So please email us. You can add us on Twitter at IEI underscore K12. You can email me, Doug, at instituteforinnovation.com. There are many ways to find us. So um, we'd love to hear from you. So um, this episode, we go a little different path. I talk with somebody else who, who with David Irwin, who has had actually, you know, sort of a similar career path to me, although he worked at New York City specifically uh, working on the iLearn project. And then he also spent a bunch of time working at uh, District Administrator, which, of course, runs a similar similar but different event to us. Um, but, uh, you know, good good folks that they've been around for a very long time. We're, we're a, a, an infant comparatively, but um, his experience inside of this kind of an organization is certainly interesting. Um, but we mostly talk about his experience um, running iLearn. iLearn was this groundbreaking uh, Joel Klein era, one-to-one blended learning instructional technology play in New York City. And so, uh, you know, David, David asks the question, so if we, if we did this 11, 12 years ago with iLearn, why is it suddenly having to start from scratch to figure out how to get kids learning on devices in individualized ways. And my pushback is, is, you know, well, did you really do that? (laughs) Did you really, you, there were documents, there were newspaper articles, there was technology pushed out, but it's, it's sort of like the discussion around engagement. We talk about engaging families. We talk about engaging, uh, students. Engaging is, 
having a two-way discussion and getting them really sort of embedded in the discussion or in the work. Um, I'm not sure that there was engagement between the then New York City DOE and the students and families and teachers around this project for one for one reason or another, right? There, we could all go look back at the history, and I'm not trying to criticize, certainly not trying to criticize David or put any blame on the New York City DOE, but um, sometimes tragedy, uh, you know, difficult roadblocks, um, unforeseen bad turns of events can force a level of engagement. And frankly, some of it is, I think the reason, I read something that the reason why we're all exhausted every day is because we've got cortisone shooting through us all the time because we're constantly wondering when, you know, how do we avoid catching the virus? So the way to get someone's attention is uh, to scare the pants off of them. And so I think a lot of us are scared. And so we have, the district has our attention. And so, um, you know, I, I think that that's, that's the answer to the question of why we had years and years of talk about educational technology and one-to-one and why we're really only starting to think about doing it now. And, um, you know, anybody who wants to criticize school districts, um, you know, first of all, (laughs) you'll, you'll fear, you'll, you'll feel my verbal wrath. Um, but you know, really the people, you can't underestimate the power of being in a room together, which is the thing that, that we think about at IEI all the time. You can't replace the in-person gathering that we host. You can't replace the power of a teacher inspiring kids with her or his presence in a room, personality, uh, connection. You can't look someone else in the eye on a Zoom screen. You just can't. I mean, you can, but you can't, right? You're looking at a camera, which is translating your eyes across the thing. And there's something about, you know, that feeling that you get, I think, think about this a lot more now than I ever have that feeling when you think someone's looking at you or watching you, there's something about humans. I'm guessing it's some sort of evolutionary thing where you, you think like you're prey and you have this thing in your brain, which senses that another potential predator is looking at you. And then you look back at them and then you catch each other like, oops, I got caught looking at your cool, um, whatever bald head in my case. Uh, and, uh, like, it's like, Hey, how's it going in that awkward moment? Or, uh, or sometimes it's somebody who's trying to get your attention. And so they do so across a room. Um, that, that human element is something that I don't think can be replaced. And I think educators, educational leaders, certainly the superintendents I've come to know in IEI, um, for, to some extent, the, the idea of one-to-one digital distance learning, virtual instruction and tools that support it was something that was going to always supplement the in-person experience. And now, so therefore there wasn't as much engagement. And then you have to think about the people who go into teaching and running school districts. They, they're people, people. IEI works because we're a group of people who get together in person and we're all people, people. Our members, our superintendents are all people who are used to going to a room and having people want to talk to them, uh, you know, being the, the person in charge of, of most meetings they're in. So, uh, and, and wanting and spending most of their days in and around people. Superintendents don't sit and write code in a room by themselves or write documents in a room by themselves. They're out talking to people all day long. That's why this has been tough for everybody. Um, those of us who do have these kind of whether or not we personally are extroverts, we have these extroverted jobs where we go around and talk to people. So 
Um, that's why I think you haven't seen the engagement in trying to figure out a true distance one-to-one -one virtual instructional model until now. And I'm, you know, just my personal opinion, that's, that's great as a parent. I'm, I'm happy that my district is now trying to figure out how to do this because they have to, because public health dictates that we try to avoid um, spreading or, you know, increasing the, the slope of the curve. So, you know, everybody in districts trying to figure it out right now, thank you, your heroes. Let all the rest of us know how we can help. I floated my idea. I floated it to my own district. Um, in fact, I my board president called to ask me about it, I think, so I'm looking, I got to call him back. The idea of a core of parents who have flexible schedules who can potentially organize some time to support families who are not able to do some of this homeschooling stuff. Um, I love this idea. I don't know where to go with it. I tried talking to someone at Teach for America about it. Didn't hear back. So if anyone out there who listens to us is interested in this idea, I think it's a, it's a sort of, it's, it's, I think of it like the Teach for America teacher core uh, from 20 years ago that, that Wendy Cop longer than that, wow, I'm old, that Wendy Cop brilliantly conceived of uh, as an undergraduate at Princeton and then went out and built this organization. You know, say what you want about Teach for America. You People can, can criticize stuff. I certainly can be critical of stuff, but um, they put hundreds of thousands of people into classrooms who wouldn't otherwise have gotten there. And uh, in the balance, that has to be good for education. So now we've got a situation where everybody's supposed to be teaching their own kids, but some people are just not in a position to do that. And, um, you know, it's not that I have a ton of time, but I am a parent who can block out a piece of my calendar to teach my own kid. So if I can do that for mine, there are probably other, I'd love to share with other parents who, who can't. And so make that a, a three or four person, three or four kid class, right? And I happen to have a teaching background. So, you know, I don't know if I'm any good at it, but I at least was trained how to do it a long time ago. So, um, these ideas are there's so many ideas right now that are trying to get figured out in a short time frame before we bring kids back to school. And I really, I'm really worried about our friends in the Southeast where school starts in August. That is so soon. Um, I'm hearing some districts are talking about pushing it back more to the September time frame, which is when we start here in the Northeast. So, um, so anyway, so David and I get into this discussion. I'm, I'm really, uh, I'll be curious to hear everybody's thoughts on it. Um, David's been a, a high-level thinker about these problems. He's a he's a consultant, um, so um, you know, take a listen and enjoy. The other thing I want to highlight before we get into the, the the interview, David talks about his own personal or his his professional and personal methodology for changing things and learning things. He's done work with districts around their uh, their um, strategic plan and sort of implementing their strategic plan. He also is an elected board member out in New Jersey which is interesting. So he, he walks the walk. Um, his idea is that you do something different every day for 50 days. You, you add something new. So you don't try to implement the whole plan tomorrow. You do something a little bit each day. You know, we're not always in that. We don't always have that luxury running school districts, but, um, you know, try to fix one thing at a time. And he talks, tells this great story of a friend, those of us who our, um, our home, you know, we're all, we're all home, but, uh, you know, like if, if you're finding yourself, um, hitting the, the snack drawer a little more than you used to, <laughs> because it's there, cause we're home more. Um, I certainly, I'll raise my hand and say that I've, I've been doing that. Um, he has a friend who lost 150 pounds by changing one little thing every day. And he tells that story as a way to 
because, I mean, talk about a transformation, right? The guy, he ran a marathon with him. So I've, I love the story. I love the, the grit and determination. I love the breaking it down into small chunks. Hope you enjoy the discussion with David. And uh, we'll be back next week with a discussion around virtual reality, augmented reality, and a couple other things. So enjoy. Thanks for listening to Talk Soups. Good afternoon, second week of May, Talk Soups and CEOs. I'm here with David Irwin, who is currently a free agent independent consultant um, who's been working in and around um, our industry. Did uh, Well, you, you tell us, t- tell us about you know, your time at DA and then in Gardner and everything. Hey, thanks, uh, thanks Doug, for having me. Um, David, welcome to Talk Soups. Good to see you. How are you? <laughs> it's wonderful to catch up with you, as always. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, for about two years uh, until recently, I ran district administration and helped them launch events into CAOs and CIOs um, and launch their, bring over and launch their superintendents academies and grow towards membership. Uh, I came to them because prior to being a uh, DA, I work for a company called Gartner, which is a the large world's largest uh, research and advisory organization, had primarily focused on IT and moved over into other areas of the business. And for about a decade, I ran their K-12 education practice, supporting both school districts across the country, as well as ed tech providers in the U.S. and internationally supporting their go-to-market strategies. Yeah, great. Um, so, these are uh, these are crazy times, and I think a lot of people are um, a lot of people are, are trying to think quickly. There's a big task in front of our district leaders to figure out how to re- reinvent school as we've known it for a hundred and who knows how many years in three months to get kids back this fall. Um, what are you What are you thinking about that process? What are you seeing out there? Um, what can you share? Just as you know, you have a you've looked at these kinds of problems in school districts with a consultant brain for a long time. So um, any perspective would be helpful. Yeah. So first it's, you know, I've been, I bittersweet is probably the wrong word to use because I don't expect, you know, the way that districts and, you know, teachers and students are struggling right now to say bittersweet is probably the wrong term, but I've been helping districts kind of think through changing education for the better half of the past 15 years or so. And when I came to education leaders that were thinking about, you know, we need to change our, our manufacturing uh, industrial model of rows of students and the teacher has all knowledge forever. We've been talking about that for a long time. And, you know, I was very lucky to help a bunch of large districts and other, other size districts think through what new teaching and learning could look like. Um, not putting the teacher in the center of learning, you know, with the availability of resources that the teacher doesn't have to be the only o- owner of knowledge, but being able to um, uh, really uh, use all the different means available. And obviously using technology is a big, uh, big, bear, a big area in that. I helped uh, New York City Department of Education, and this is probably, probably most relevant right now, is certainly the most vocal or most uh, most advertised. I helped uh, New York City Department of Education with their iLearn uh, blend and learning program about 11, 12 years ago now. Yeah. And it was putting a, uh, a, a learning management system in place, about 35 different content providers, devices, broadband access in the classrooms, tons and tons of PD for uh, for teachers um, to help them get up to speed with different different ways of teaching and learning. 
only to find when schools were canceled in New York City, you know, back when the rest of the schools were canceled, that they were starting from square zero because they, they scrapped right. it all. So how does that happen? You know, how, how did, is it politics? Is it new administrations? Was it never really embraced in the first place in the beginning? Yeah, I mean, I think so definitely politics and leadership have a lot to do with it. And this and all actually without trying to, you know, come down on any one particular person, you know, a lot of times district initiatives are because there's one leader that believes that they should put something in place that can transform teaching and learning. At the time, Joel Klein, he, not really, this wasn't even his initiative, but he had people that worked for him, John White, who went off to become the commissioner of Louisiana and, and uh, Arthur Vanderveen and a guy named Sandeep Shalini, who is now the CIO of Teach for America, like they had these bold ideas of what blended learning and teaching could be. Um, unfortunately, when you know the administration changed over, new leadership came in place, and those leaders weren't there anymore. And because this never got to the fabric of what they do as an organization, you know, it it came and went. So they never, you know, whereas you know, you think about. Uh, blackboards and pen and paper like that doesn't seem to change from administration right. because because this you know it was an initiative led by some it it, it, but, it eventually faded away but we, we talk a lot on this we talk a lot on talk soups about um grassroots decision making and our members you know they they beat this drum pretty loudly that they don't make unilateral decisions. If they're going to make a change, they want to bring everybody up and down the organization in. They want to map it to the district um, mission and stated goals. We, you know, it, some of these initiatives don't happen because that process doesn't happen and it never really got fully integrated into the work. And yeah, there was a lot of resistance to it. And, you know, I'm not here to, to, to criticize either. I'm just saying that it's possible that, you know, districts were caught flat footed on having to do distance learning because it never really got anywhere beyond, you know, procuring tools, generating press out in the real, in the classrooms, right? Some mm -hmm. teachers probably dove in, many didn't. And um, it's very hard to get at an organization, the larger the organization, the harder it is to get all, everybody singing from the same hymnal. Yeah, and it's also, and so New York City is like, it's, you know, obviously they're unique. They're the largest district in the country and no one comes even close to them. So it's not necessarily the best example for what most districts do. And I, I very much understand that. But, you know, ultimately you're talking about fundamentally changing what teaching and learning is. And because there's just so much general resistance from, you know, you often get the argument that like, well, when I went to school, this is how I learned math. And I can't believe we've taught this new way of learning math um, because it's such in our fabric of like, this is what we've always done. Like the fact that we have, um, the fact that we still have parent teacher conferences, that we get to see our teacher for two times a year with our kids for 10 minutes in person with them and get 10 minutes snapshot. And knowing that like, there's not a problem with that. The fact that there's now zoom technologies or even telephones that you could actually pick up the phone and have a conversation with the teacher about how your students progressing past the year. People generally accepted that like nothing needs to change at all. We can just continue keeping on what we're doing right now. Right. And, and I think that like, if anything, this pandemic is showing that we can do things differently. Um, I'm also an elected school board member in my own district. And if you go back and watch some of our, they're not even recordings, they're, they're audio tapes of our, of our uh, um, school board meetings. One of the things that I've been asking for a long time is for us to broadcast 
our board meetings live so that the public doesn't have to come out and see them. And I keep saying that I'm going to threaten to send my 10 year old there and do, uh, <laughs> to do in Instagram live and record right. our, because it, because the technology is that easy. So guess what? The pandemic comes and hits the next week. We have a they board figure meeting it out. On, yeah. on, on zoom. And I, I, refuse to believe when we get back to normal, whatever normal is, that we won't still do the same thing. Maybe we'll be at the yeah. board meeting, but we'll have laptops in front of us and our computers will be out there. But we've realized that like change can happen. So I think if anything, so this is the bittersweet part is that we've yeah. started to realize that things can change. So I was an elected village board member and I actually did do, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a kid old enough to do it for me. So I did it myself, not at one of our meetings. I went to like a zoning board meeting and I just filmed it with my laptop to prove the point. And I think I was such a pain in the, you know what, that they were like, all right, let's just do this. So he shuts up and it was a really great thing. And so now they, that, you know, the, the village is now ready for this uh, in a way that uh, they wouldn't be if they hadn't taken the risk to do that. Plus it gave a local guy a job, mm -hmm. which is great. So um, yeah, the, 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 we've had several, you know, just me and my wife had several of those 10 minute parent teacher conferences with our teacher since this started. We're much mm -hmm. more in touch with her than we were before. And it's great. She's great. She's awesome. She's providing so much support. Our kid likes being part of the conversations. How great is this? Right now I get it that she's freed up from having to, to be in charge of the kids from, from 8am to 2:30, Right. So there's time made available, but you can always find time in a schedule if you're willing to pay people for their time. Mm -hmm. That's the thing we're going to see the, the episode last week where we had John Welch from Puget Sound ESD plus, um, few of our, our partners, John was very clear that what he's working on with his component districts is completely changing, not they're, that they're doing it, but they're looking at changing the calendar, changing the schedules, everything is on the table for change. And this is, this is a, an opportunity for idea people. Um, executing, of course, is going to be a challenge, but this is an opportunity to rethink everything. Mm -hmm. Well, so Doug, to your point about executing is everything. I think this is where like, where as much as I'm an optimist about things where I'd have some pause or at least to give some direction to district leaders or things to think about. It's very easy in these you know, reactionary times where we have to react to the current situation to just start thinking that like, yes, things won't go back to normal. We're, we're, we're on a pathway. Unfortunately, I think that, you know, without thinking through a strategy that you're on this course of changing that it's very 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 easy to revert back to what we've always done when when you uh when you come back so i mean i the analogy that i can think is you know i often i give i've given talks a whole bunch of times on uh districts implementing new strategic plans and i i a comparison i talk about is a friend of mine who went through this transformational weight loss where he went from he's five nine about my height went from 365 pounds to 100 and 165 pounds over over three years or so and it wasn't because he had this you know fast instant strategy of you know doing something you know uh you know gastric bypass surgery in a week or so it's something that he did over three years mm -hmm. because he started doing something different every day and he kept up at it and he didn't stop doing it every so day. every so, every single day so. so how do you do something different every day yeah i mean leader? i think that so I think you just, you just have to, first of all, start small. You have to start small. So the analogy that I gave with, um, with my friend Ben um, is that when he, was when he was at his heaviest, he was eating a chicken parm hero 
for lunch every single day. That's what he had for lunch. He walked down to his cafeteria and he works in New York City, walked downstairs, grabbed a chicken parm hero. I love chicken parm heroes. (laughs) (laughs) The visual I show, I found like the best looking, most delicious looking chicken parm hero. Um, um, And he had that every day. I've got a little Ben in me. I mean, I'm not every day with the chicken parm, (laughs) but you know, every couple of weeks, right? All right. So, So he... So he, so he had some, a bunch of things happen in his life where he just was at a point where he knew that he needed to make a change and do something. He also knew that the stats that if you do these drastic things that you have a 99% chance of failing. And there are stats, McKinsey publishes tons of good research that shows that 80% of organizations that embark upon a new strategic direction fail. 80, and that, those are like well-financed big corporations with you know high-priced consultants and MBAs and all that type of stuff. So those are 80%. So so, you know, take that down to school districts, which have a lot less financing and a lot less of the same resources. It compounds that and makes it much That's more terrifying. difficult. To, yeah. So, but it doesn't stop organizations from still going down this path that I'm going to implement some new strategic plan. So in Ben's case, he realized he had to make a change. And everyone's gone through this before in some capacity where they say like, That's it. I'm done. I'm exercising. I'm going to start eating healthy on Monday morning. And on Monday morning, you have a quinoa salad and uh and uh, kale, kale salad, quinoa in the morning. You have it on Monday, you have it on Tuesday, you have it on Wednesday, you have it on Thursday, and by Thursday you're ready to kill somebody, and you step on the scale, and you've gained like two pounds. And what's the first thing you do? Like you quit, you're like, that's it, that's it. I'm quitting, I'm done, this diet was awful, it didn't work for me, and you go back to your old ways, and you maybe in a couple weeks, or a couple months or so, you get frustrated, and you start again, and you do the same thing. Yeah. So Ben realized that, and he realized that that's exactly what he what what he was doing and what you know everything he'd heard about what others were doing too so what he decided he's like you know what on day one i'm gonna have a ham sandwich i'm just gonna eat a ham sandwich and i'm gonna see if i can do it for like a week or so if i can eat a ham sandwich and then after a week or so i'll see where that takes me and so eventually he went from ham sandwiches um he got to turkey sandwiches and eventually he got to salads like he got there but he mm-hmm. did it every single day he had a recognition like i am not having this chicken farm here today I'm going to do something a little bit different and start every single day. So, and eventually he got to the point where he had never run anything in his life. He'd never, he, you know, he couldn't walk more than a hundred yards without being winded So He started walking and then he started going on longer walks and eventually he started jogging a little bit and this has been three years now, but he's completed, I think three marathons um, since then. I actually first marathon he ever ran in New York city marathon. I ran with him for 10, about 10 miles of the marathon. I illegally jumped into the marathon. That's amazing. And, uh, ran side by side with a selfie. He wanted to kill me because I, I wanted to videotape it for my talk. So yeah. I had a selfie camera. So I was, he was just trying to run away from me and my selfie camera. To take <laughs> the phone. So, but he, uh, he completed it. So um, Every day, something new. So uh, what's have you been doing this during, during the time at home? Have you been exploring any new stuff? I have. And I think because I want to practice what I preach and I give this advice out, I don't want to be someone just talks about it that actually does it. So one good example, and you know, it's been on my mind to learn a different language for, for a while. If, well, if we had more longer, if we had longer time, eventually I'll tell you when I, how I was a water ski instructor at club med and I knew how to <laughs> teach uh, water. I could teach water ski French, but it doesn't go much further than that. So I decided I was going to teach myself French. Uh, I came across this uh, app called Duolingo which is a language app. And as long as you can get through their ads, it's free. And so for six, about since the pandemic pandemic started a little bit before, um, I started teaching myself French using Duolingo. So you can do five minute, 10 minute courses on it. So 
every single day. And now I'm a, I miss one day, so I miss my streak. So I'm at 46 days, 56 days in a row of, um, of doing a 10 minute lesson. And I kill my wife sometimes because we'll be at night. It's like 11 o'clock at night and we're about to go to sleep. And I'm like, crap, I forgot to do my Duolingo lesson. <laughs> and she has to sit there and listen to me annoyingly on my, uh, on my cast, but I'm doing it every day and I'm picking it up. Like, am I perfect at it? No, but it's yeah. better than saying that I wanted to teach myself a language. And I know I, I'm, I, I, I can't say I'm a conversationalist, but man, I know so much more now. And it's only because I've done it every day. You have, I've stuck with it every single day. That's uh, that's admirable. I've been trying to learn more about blockchain. Like I just picked a sort of learning goal with, you know, I find that I'm sometimes up at random hours with the insomnia that I think most business owners have right now as they're thinking through how to get through this. And so I was like, well, I got to learn about this blockchain thing because who knows, it eventually is going to rear its head with education. I don't know exactly how, so, but I've heard so much about mm. it. So I've been trying to like learn from various documentaries and reading and and since I'm not traveling anymore, I've been trying to channel my time that I'm not traveling into writing. So we've started putting out a lot more content um, for, for our members and on our blog, which has been fun. So, uh, you know, it's been, it's been good. Oh, and then another thing that you and I, you and I have a lot in common in, in real life and in work, but um, my Tuesday nights now, I try to, I, I tried meditating last year and I just never kind of got it. I think the most meditative I ever really get is when I'm listening to music. So I've gotten a hall pass on on bedtime with my kid on Tuesday night to listen to the to the fish uh, dinner and a movie show that they're playing they're playing these old shows, and I just walk around my town and listen to music and look mm -hmm. at stuff in a way that like I usually blow by it because I'm busy, got to get to work, whatever. And I just like I look, I stop, I look, stand outside the art gallery and look at the paintings in the window. It's been a really cool little part of, and it's a Tuesday, so it's like just mm -hmm. a night when you're you know I get a night to just think. Um, that's been a that's been a nice. Uh, new thing in my life from uh, from this horrible situation. So cool. Well, I mean, you know, the the research says that habits form after 21 days. So after you've been doing something, it just becomes what you do. It becomes what you do. And I think that now, you know, my advice for you know for superintendents or district leaders is that take advantage of the fact that like you've got this momentum moving in some direction. And what are the things like of behaviors that you can start to change that are just going to be there and you can stick at them every single day you don't have to have a goal of i'm going to you know back to the weight goal i'm going to lose 150 pounds um in, in six months it's the goal is like what are things that you're going to be doing right now like so as a superintendent like with distance learning like are you dropping in your 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 you know whether you're using a learning management system or google classrooms are you dropping in to to see what the lesson plans are and then when you're you know in a lot of times you're the you are the voice of the community of the district like those are being able to drop in on those classrooms and seeing what kids are doing dropping in on their zoom calls or just going through and seeing what's being produced in their you know learning management systems or google classrooms being able to talk about that stuff is so incredibly important rather than just just giving some high level things about what we're doing for planning back to school but yeah. really seeing like how authentic learning is like happening right now that's something that any the thing is and i've been saying this a lot because we've we've removed the day-to-day -day things that districts have to deal with principals have to deal with about you know discipline or bullying or or lunch duties or just the typical stuff or maintenance, all those things that they, they're all like for the most part, and I know I'm oversimplifying this, have gone away. And really the, the, the thing that's there right now is teaching and learning. Like there's nothing else but teaching and learning right now. And so it's like the most, it's, it's almost the most, you know, best time in the world to actually focus on teaching and learning and being able to, you know, focus yeah, on what can change about teaching and learning. So 
I worry, and I, you know, you are a board member, so um, I'm sure you're thinking about this. I'm worried about the conversation that's going to happen between the unions and districts. I'm worried this is going to get tough because, you know, the contracts were written for a different world that we may not be going back to, at least not anytime mm -hmm. soon. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that that could present, my hope is that people will be open to just sort of ripping pieces of it up and starting over versus digging in heels on what's written in those contracts now. Cause if so, that's going to be tough on both sides. Yeah. You know, um, districts are asking teachers to, to think about their jobs differently and teachers are asking districts to think about their, their job structure and their compensation differently. Um, mm -hmm. That's, yeah, we're being asked to, 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 um, to potentially see into teachers homes via cameras, right? That's, that's new and uncomfortable. Uh, we're going to see in, some districts are having teachers look into kids' homes. That's new and uncomfortable for some. Um, so I think this is there's going to need to be some creative thought around this and how to make it work for everyone. Yeah, I'm a, I, as I mentioned earlier, I am an optimist. I don't know that I feel as optimistic as you might have sounded here before. <laughs> uh, you know, I've always led by you know the advice that I've given and certainly heard by other district leaders that I admire is make decisions that that put kids first and. I don't, you know, my hope is, I, I would hope that, you know, both on the, you know, the labor side and on the administration side that we think about putting kids first. I just, I don't know that I'm that optimistic that that will happen. So across I think board, it will, in, so. it will in some places and it won't in others. And I yeah. guess what I'm saying is I hope everyone can, can put aside some of the structural stuff to do that and then, you know, mm -hmm. figure out the, the numbers later. Right. Yeah. Uh, related to that, it brought up a story. So I, I think I, I'm helping a district in Texas right now. Yes. Yeah. And uh, cool. so I'm helping. Uh, there's a district called Ector County in uh, in uh, Odessa, Texas. It's their their original fame or one of their fames is that they are the school district where Friday Night Lights uh, was based off of. So um, it is a it's a real place, and you know it's it's that happened 20 some odd years ago, and so they they still live in that that fame. Um, it's yeah. an incredibly rural, uh, parts of the district are incredibly rural. I think there are more oil rigs in the district than there are homes. Um, yeah. And there's their superintendent, his name is Dr. Scott Murray, um, has been a visionary at other districts that he's led. And, um, you know, he'd come there to, you know, really help close the achievement gap and some, you know, you know pretty di different uh, personalities or big different, uh, uh, you know, student populations. And with this pandemic hitting, He's quickly realized the incredible the incredible uh, break in the uh, uh, the incredible uh, you know break in connectivity across homes. So, one of the things we're what we're helping him do is to figure out what's the right broadband uh, connectivity that can be used in the entire uh, that can benefit not just the school district but the city, the businesses, the oil community. And one of the things that why, why I brought this up is what can we eventually do for giving teachers who live in the community to be able to have access at home and how can they have access to the same type of connectivity that you know would be needed to be able to support distance learning. So it's a great, wonderful collaboration between the school district, the, the, the county, the city, the oil community, the business community, the development corporation, and hoping that they become a lighthouse as the state of Texas is calling it a lighthouse district that really shows the country what um, can book, how they can come together and create a business model that supports, uh, you know, um, you know, everyone in, in the community. That would be great. <clears throat> Please keep us posted on your work there. Um, we, we are in the midst of a, we do, um, 
we do discussions since we can't. We're supposed to, we were supposed to have met last week in New Orleans, <clears throat> um, which is why you and I are talking. D- David was on our our program in New Orleans, and so what we're doing is asynchronous discussions with our members now about some of the big topics, and you know, a big one is around um, equity and making sure that all kids can access instruction right now. And so I just asked them, if you were the king of the world and you could do whatever you wanted, uh, what would you do first? And the top thought in the group, and yeah, then we go back and we, we rate the thoughts, you know, so that the ones that resonate with most of us bubble to the top. The top one is about access and they want free broadband access for every person, every kid. And, you know, this is a, this is an opportunity. Can we, can legislatures somehow figure out how to regulate this and make it such that maybe there's an enhanced service that consumers buy, but there's some way for the government to pay for internet access to everybody. Cause it's sort of like, you know, or, or regulate it so that it, uh, you know, it sort of becomes like water. I mean, there are, there are communities where it's, you can't get clean water, which is a absolute travesty, but in most communities in America, you can get access to clean water and you get it at a reasonable regulated price um yeah. that's that's where our group's pushing around connectivity well i'll be i i, I mean the analogies you use are great and one thing that i've learned in this doing this you know as a consultant this is one of the greatest opportunities that consultant as a management consultant has is to solve a very hard problem that doesn't have a very easy answer and i think in this particular case it's incredibly complicated if 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 this wasn't um you know, if this wasn't so complicated, it'd be solved right now. So right. Um, um, my hope is that, and I know that uh, Dr. Mary wants to do this to do is to be able to, to be able to share the blueprint, the learnings of this so that other communities can take this, take the same path and go forward. It's, it is, it's an incredibly complicated issue. Um, you know, the inner, you know, broadband has been around for a long time and the fact that there's still starch gaps and there, and what we're finding now is that even the FCC reports that show what coverage looks like just are not true at all. And the pandemic really mm-hmm. showed that that to be the case. So um, my hope is that you'll be able to, you know, your members, um, you know, those listening here will be able to take some of, certainly take our, our landscape report that we're producing and then the roadmap for what we're doing to figure out how to get a community together. Now, the thing that's been really helpful for this is that there's a, you know, a, a leadership void that uh, I wouldn't say a void, but there's a leadership role that the superintendent's taking and the entire community to help, foster this it's not the county versus the city versus the economic development center versus mm-hmm. versus anything yeah. else they they believe that this is a role so so th- those elements are right for something to come great out of it and i look forward to sharing with you and your members uh what that uh w- what that looks like something they could leverage yeah keep, keep us posted the um the thing about this though that is frustrating for those of us who are so close to this work is i mean this has been a this is it's not like this is only a problem now the fact that kids would go home to homes without internet access impeded their ability to learn before today, right? Maybe not in 1998 or 2003, but certainly in 2010 and 11, the kids who have internet access at home have a better shot uh, at a leg up on success because they can access information, assignments, turn in assignments. So, so this has been a, an equity problem for a while. So if we have to, you know, like the blog post I put out last week, you know, this is a horrible thing and people are, people are losing lives and family members and jobs. And, you know, we owe it to everybody who's impacted by this negatively to try to find some silver linings, find some solutions. And hopefully we, this can be the area where we improve and go forward so that, you know, 10 years from now, it'd be crazy to think that a kid wouldn't have access to the internet at home. Yep. I couldn't agree more with you. 
So, yeah. and I guess this this has magnified those gaps right now, and hope, hopeful that you know some good things will come as a result of it. Yeah. Well, we're 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 working on it. I don't know if there are any legislators listening. <laughs> figure it out in your states. Figure out how you can find money. For, you know, and the E-rate money the, the is supposed to be used for this. I don't know. That was a big deal in the 2000s. Then we stopped hearing about it for a while. So hopefully that that uh, you know somebody figures out because it it just takes money, right? There, there. I mean, there is funding available and it can be used. So what I'm realizing now is that you know, I think this is an opportunity for district leaders that they can have a role in this, that they can help take a leadership role in this. If you know, rather than you know waiting for what might be done by a legislature that they can actually yeah. take an active role in trying to do something. Yeah. Be, again, because the issue is incredibly complicated. It's not, it's not as, as one simple answer. There are providers that are there. There's, you know, there's break, there's a million different things that are involved in making this happen well. So, but it's solvable. Yeah. yeah. Great. So uh, I mentioned before that, uh, that uh, David and I have, have common interests around music. So, a uh, couple couple of music questions for you before we before we head up. So we were all supposed to be in New Orleans last week, and we were supposed to be. Our conference was at the end of Jazz Fest, so we were going to all be at Jazz Fest all weekend. Some of us, and then our last night was our first night was going to be the last night of Jazz Fest. So um, it's uh, it's I think those of us who love live music, this has been a tough tough time, and you know there are worse things in life than not getting to go to live music, but it's. Uh, yeah, it's something that we definitely miss. So, um, what? It, so, uh, David and I are both big fans of Fish and the Grateful Dead, as two two great bands in my life who've, who've given me great music over the years. What was your best ever um, show that was not by one of those two bands? At at and you're saying at Jazz Fest or just anywhere? Anywhere. What's one of the best shows you've ever heard? Bands you've ever heard who's not one of those two iconic jam bands? Okay, so first of all, I don't think I'm as big of fishes, uh, big fan of fish as you are. So I just want to make sure the audience knows that. Okay. The Grateful Dead, clearly. So, <laughs> and um, you're like my wife; she's like a little <laughs> over it with fish. <laughs> so, very, very easy answer. Simple answer. Didn't take me long to get to. So, I've never been much of a Bruce Springsteen fan forever. I've liked, cared about his music, but never really a fan of his. Yeah. Um, I moved to New. I'm from New York City. I moved to New Jersey about four or five years ago. Um, when he was touring um, his last tour, I had an opportunity to go see him at Giant Stadium. And it was supposed to be a, uh, I, the day before he'd been for a four and a half hour show. And I went like on a Tuesday night. My wife said, if he plays longer than three hours, we're, we're leaving. And I'd gone to see Cold, Cold, Cold play like over the summer and they had lights yeah. and fireworks yeah, yeah. and yeah. all that type of stuff. The Bruce stage is just a simple stage, nothing there, nothing fancy about it. Like just a plain little stage, no lights, no anything. Yeah. Um, so suffice to say, three hours blows by, uh, Thunder Road comes on, the whole place is shaking. And my wife says, uh, I said to my wife, I'm like, you ready to go now? Yeah. And we stayed, he ended up playing along. <laughs> he played for almost five hours. Right. But this was the thing, I felt that he, he, someone told him earlier on that my wife and I were coming to the show. We were in section two in the middle somewhere. Yeah. Uh, someone had told him that we we're playing and said, we've never seen a Bruce Springsteen show. And he was playing his heart out for us because he wanted to show us what an experience <laughs> like that looked like. I'd never seen anything like that wow. in my entire life. I was completely moved by it. And I've seen, I, I've, I, I see so much live music and that was one of the best experiences I've ever, I've ever had. So. And it welcomed you to New Jersey. 
it welcomed me. It made me start to embrace. It made me embrace this this adopted land of mine right now. So next it's Bon Jovi, um, and it's all downhill <laughs> from there. Um, well, so so my favorite band that I ever saw outside of uh, the Dead or or Fish, who I love and who you are lukewarm about, uh, is the Meters, and that's why I was so. Wow bummed that I didn't get to go to my first jazz fest this year because I mean I know that Art Devil's gone but like that music the New Orleans uh music's always been one of my favorite uh genres so I probably saw the meters in various forms and uh configurations about probably 15 20 times just wow, always, cool. always had a good time here they used to play in New York they used to play a run every year they play two or three shows so I'd catch those usually so um one day I feel like mm -hmm. I'm star-crossed with New Orleans a little bit. One day yeah. I'm going to get to Jazz Fest and I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Yes. <laughs> All right. Me too. Yeah. We'll keep up the work. Thanks for being on. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stay in touch. We'll keep the conversation going. Cool. Awesome. Thank you for having me here. And uh, I love everything that you're doing. And glad I can be here to help support, uh, support you and your members. Thanks. Appreciate it. Alrighty, episode 27 is in the books. I want to thank David Irwin for, for taking some time to talk with me. I want to thank everybody, want every one of you who listens to Talk Soups and CEOs. I want to thank all of our IEI superintendent members for all the work you're doing um, as you get ready for next year. And uh, if you like what we're doing, please do go to wherever you listen to your podcasts, hit the subscribe button, and maybe hit us, give us some stars. We'd appreciate that. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.